and welcome to City Break Ideas, episode 11. Those of you following the City Breaks London series along will be a little bit surprised perhaps to find that we're so soon again taking a break for a City Break Ideas episode, but actually that's a conscious decision. City Break Ideas is quite popular, it's going rather well, I like working with lots of other people, which the format allows me to do, and so I'm thinking perhaps we'll have a few more of them. Roughly once a month is the plan. I was particularly buoyed up by the lovely comments I got from all three of the travel bloggers with whom I worked last time. They all took the trouble to write back and say, thanks very much, really enjoyed it. That's a bit of a summary, so let me bask in some of the comments they actually made. My favourite, I think, was from David Perry. You may remember we went to York and to Zagreb in his company, and he wrote and said, thank you so much, your reading voice is enchanting. You could make a Chinese takeaway menu sound like Shakespeare. Well, there you go. Anna from Travel Cultura, if you remember we went to Moscow with her, kindly wrote in and said that listening to the podcast was a pure delight. And last but not least, the husband and wife team from Retire Style Travel. Do you remember going to Winnipeg via their website? Also said how much they'd enjoyed it. Tina liked the voice. Easy to listen to, she said. And Kevin found that I managed to summarise a lot of information without it becoming boring or overwhelming. Well, way to go. That certainly is the aim. Thank you to one and all. Got three more websites coming a bit later, providing between them a bit of a world tour regarding the cities that we're going to. But before I get into that, I did want to just pause and say hello especially to anybody who's listening to us for the first time. It does seem to be the case that we get new listeners on the City Break Ideas episodes, and so I quite like to pause and just explain what City Breaks is supposed to be. So basically, it's all the history and culture that you would research for yourself before a City Break, if only you had the time. A bit of history, maybe some mini-biographies of the people most connected with that city, a minute or two about their lives, and an idea of where in the city today you can find them. Think, I don't know, going in search of Michelangelo in Florence, for example. Where can you learn about him? Where can you see his work? What interesting facts are there about his life in Florence during the Renaissance period? If you know a little bit of that, you're going to enjoy your visit to Florence so much more. Well, I think so anyway. So for this month, I had a look at the beginnings of the blog, which is a space on the website where I just put bits and pieces that strike me as interesting about each of the cities that I've covered. And I've picked out a few little tidbits just to whet your appetite. Did you know, for example, that if you get off the metro in Paris at the station labelled Cluny la Sorbonne, you will see scribble all over the walls and the ceilings. And not any old scribble, but the autographs of lots and lots of French intellectuals. Racine, Simone de Beauvoir, authors and philosophers and French thinkers. And why? Well, because when you go up out of the station, you find yourself in the Quartier Latin, which is the very intellectual bit of Paris, the bit with the Sorbonne, with the Musée de Cluny. Rive gauche, if you're familiar with the term, the left bank. And the episode on that in the Paris series, I think it's episode 11, explains the difference between the right bank and the left bank, very nicely put in French, in fact. La rive droite dépense, the right bank spends, la rive gauche pense. You can hear the rhyme in French, perhaps. The left bank thinks, is what it means. And then later in the episode, we go out and about a little bit with some of the writers and thinkers who settled there. Think Ernest Hemingway, Jean-Paul Sartre, that sort of person. 
And just as a second example, another post a little bit later on the blog is about Spain, and it quotes the French writer André Gide, who went to Spain, travelled around and absolutely fell in love with flamenco. He went to a performance in Seville and he said of it that it, quote, touched a secret part of my heart. And he went on to explain that just to hear that song again, he would have, quote, travelled over three Spains. And yes, there's an episode on flamenco in the Seville series. The history, some descriptions of it, particularly some descriptions by famous authors who put it better than I can, and ideas about where in Seville to go if you want to see it for yourself. So if either of those things, or that sort of thing, captures your interest, may I respectfully suggest that you'll find quite a lot that you will probably enjoy in our back catalogue. And so, on to today, when, as mentioned, we've got three different blogs coming up, which I've chosen because I liked them, because they offered a good range of ideas on cities that City Breaks itself hasn't been to yet, and because I just like working with other people doing a similar thing to that which I'm trying to do telling other people about their travels. And first off today then, a website, a travel blog, which is very intercontinental in flavour, in that it goes to America and Australia and Europe. It's www.hannahendersontravel.com. Don't forget, I'll put all the links at the end on the show notes, because as well as listening to this, I really do hope that you'll go and have a look and give the people I've chosen as being worthy of a look a little bit more of your attention. So this website then, the About Me section, opens like this. My name's Hannah Henderson, and I'm a travel writer, foodie and photographer based in France. I write travel-related content, promote brands and destinations, usually with a foodie bias, and I hope that this inspires others to travel. She tells us a little bit about herself. She's been an entertainment photographer and PR for rock bands in New Zealand. That sounds quite exciting. She's worked at the Museum of New Zealand as an art librarian. She's done loads of studying, all sorts of qualifications, in photography, in art history, in tourism and TEFL. That's teaching English as a foreign language, if you don't know it. And may I say as an aside, what a great qualification. Get that, it'll only take you a few weeks full time or a year at evening classes, and that is your passport to anywhere in the world where they'd like to learn English. It's the qualification to have. And I do know people who actually spent a whole career travelling from one country to another just on the strength of being able to teach English properly when they get there. And also, I did enjoy the last sentence on the qualifications bit of Hannah's website where she says, One day I would love to get my PhD in an obscure art-related subject. So, the website's a real mix. It's got some city breaks. It's got some entries headed 24-hour guides too. Often those are about cities as well. But it's got some road trips, there's a barbecue tour in Southern America somewhere, there's a trip round Yellowstone, there's a Discovering Elvis road trip, and another one along the coast of North Island in New Zealand. There are some posts on niche interests, for example dog-friendly trips, or wine tours in bits of France and the Napa Valley in California. There's even an absinthe tour in Switzerland. And then there are some general travel tips on things like how to get a good airfare, or how to deal with various travel mishaps. There are about 150 posts in total, all with great photos, and lots of specific information on where to stay, where to eat, what to see. It's one of those websites where lots of the posts have quite a lot of comments after them, showing that it must be quite well used. People are going along, they're reading it, they're getting something out of it. Okay, so I wanted to know 
what could we borrow from Hannah's website to do with city breaks. And she had lots of blockbuster cities on offer, Prague, Madrid, Paris, that sort of thing. She had some much more niche cities to offer. One I had actually never heard of, Forsyth in Georgia. Shame on me, probably. And another one which you may not have heard of, and that's the city of Beaune, B-E-A-U-N-E, in Burgundy, in France. I happen to have been there not that long ago, so I knew all about it. But I have a fancy that before we actually went there, I hadn't heard of it either. There are some very specific posts on particular cities. For example, one on visiting the National Museum in Edinburgh. And another one, which is a tour of Prague, specifically looking at the architecture. There's also one on the Quartier Latin in Paris, for example. But for today's episode, I chose to feature two of her posts, the first one being called 20 Best City Break Ideas in the USA, because I've only actually been to the USA once, to New York. I've got lots of ideas about going back, and one of the things that stops me is I just don't know where to go next. So the idea of a post breaking down 20 cities for me, pictures, a few hints as to what makes them special, was really quite appealing. They're not ranked in any sort of order of preference. She's simply chosen 20 cities that she thinks are worth visiting, written quite a lot of the posts herself, and actually taken a few from other travel blogging friends, and put them, in order to avoid arguments, in alphabetical order. The cities, that is, not the travel blogging friends. So allow me, with Hannah's permission of course, to share with you just a few ideas from that post. I picked out Boston first, because that is definitely somewhere I do want to visit. Often for me, it's a history that's appealing in a particular city, and I know that Boston has lots of that. But Hannah's initial approach was a bit different. Let me quote you what she says. Boston is a recent love of mine. We visited mainly due to my love of the Boston Red Sox baseball team, but ended up falling quite in love with the city for many other reasons. She goes on to explain that it's the place to learn about the American Revolution, which is the reason I'm attracted to it but that other reasons to go would be to enjoy the South End area of the city and to go to Chinatown, where you can eat amazing food. And a good day out from Boston is a trip to Salem. That's another place I've always wanted to go. We studied the Crucible, an Arthur Miller play set in Salem in the 17th century. I'm making it sound like quite a niche interest, but it's a cracking play, and I'd love to go and see the place where this real event did actually happen, long before Arthur Miller turned it into a drama. Anyway, Boston. The other thing I liked about the entries here was that for each one there's a whole set of links taking you off to lots of other things other than the ones Hannah mentions specifically with details of exactly how you could book them. They've got titles like 16 Top Attractions and 20 Things to Do. Then there's Las Vegas. You may remember that that's featured already on a City Break Ideas episode. But I was taken by the idea that Hannah wrote of it, quote, Experiencing the indulgence, craziness, larger-than-life nature of Vegas is perfect for a weekend away. She dangles a few enticing ideas, such as climbing the Stratosphere Tower to get a view of the Sunset Strip, where to go to catch the best live music, the idea of visiting, wait for it, the Neon Graveyard, and where you might get the best breakfast buffets. There's a link, too, to a separate post entitled Beginner's Guide to Las Vegas. Couple more cities to mention just to give you the flavour. There's Memphis, billed as a really well-rounded US city break. You go for the music, you go for the history and the beauty of the Mississippi River. You can, quote, 
dive into important black history at the National Civil Rights Museum, which is at the Lorraine Motel, where Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And as a fourth and last example from this post, quote, San Francisco is a sassy city. There's a grit about the place that I find very appealing. Visiting Alcatraz is a spooky must-do, as well as a ride on the fantastic restored cable cars. On a city break, I'd recommend at least four days in San Francisco. The sheer scale of the city will keep you very busy. So, if it's the US you're fancying, a city break for its own sake, or perhaps as a contrast to a week or two spent doing something completely different, then I'd recommend this post as a starting point for inspiration. And just by way of contrast, a completely different post from Hannah's website. Don't forget there are 150 or so in total. And the other one I chose to mention briefly is the one on a visit to Bone in Burgundy, one of France's wine-growing areas, of course. And her introduction to it explains, With famous Burgundy vineyards on the surrounding slopes, the town itself is full of wine shops, tasting rooms, and even a wine museum. She highlights various things to visit in the town, starting with the Hospice de Bone, an absolutely gorgeous late medieval building which opened as a charitable almshouse in 1452. It really is quite a sight. Medieval courtyard, the main building has a long sloping roof decorated in all multicoloured glazed tiles dating from the 15th century. So beautiful, in fact, that I've had that picture, which I took when I was there two or three years ago, as a screensaver, on and off ever since. The story behind the building is interesting too. So it was opened up by one Nicolas Roland, a very Christian man who felt that he should do something useful with his excess wealth. So he opened up this long hall to operate as a hospital. And you can still today see the painted beams and the rows of carved wooden hospital beds which were used way back in the 15th century. So it's fascinating and it's very heartwarming to hear a story of somebody who just did so much to help other people. Obviously then, when in Bone, you must make the most of the wine. If you want to know more about it, there's the Wine Museum, lots of bars and bistros in the town, trips out to vineyards, and lots of shops selling wine. As Hannah says, quote, The people of Bone are very proud of their wines, and they're always happy to talk you through the options, which will suit your tastes. If pottering round a French town is your thing, then Bone is definitely somewhere to recommend. As Hannah says, the old town has lovely winding pedestrian streets. There are Cassie's shops, souvenirs, a town square with a Saturday market. A vast array of cafes, restaurants and wine bars for all budgets and tastes. And I even spotted a vegetarian and vegan cafe, which is relatively rare in France. Yes, I second that. Having taken lots of student groups to France, it's always a problem if you have a vegetarian and, even worse, a vegan in the group. So it's great to hear that slowly, slowly, they are getting better at providing for them. So then, a last thank you to Hannah Henderson for allowing me to share some of her ideas with you. Do go and have a look at the website. There's lots and lots to browse. And meanwhile, let's move on to our second website, written by a completely different travel blogger. Hold on to your hats here. This is going to be an exhausting ride, I fear. So the website's called bristolianabroad.com and it opens like this. Hey there, I'm Jamie, a traveller from Bristol. I've created this community for those of us who love everything travel, adventure and ticking off bucket list activities. Then there's a paragraph about doing a degree in business management and marketing 
and thinking, well, not sure what comes next, but before whatever it is, I want to go travelling. And I think it would be fair to say it's given Jamie everything he was hoping for, meeting new people, trying new activities, experiencing new foods. And he writes, quote, After three years of casually blogging about my adventures in Asia, Australia and New Zealand, I decided to create this blog to help others live their dreams as I have. Isn't that a lovely positive thing? And if, like me, you're wondering about the nitty gritty, the detail, the how do you survive, I can give you a little insight into that too. So Jamie's done a write-up on the year 2020, which, as we know, was not the greatest of years for anyone ever, really. But he has certainly managed to make the most of it. 2020 for him started in, I hope I'm going to pronounce this correctly, Kaikoura on New Zealand's South Island, working for the Dolphin Encounter Company. As he says, I didn't work directly with the dolphins, but I did get free tours to go out and swim with dusky dolphins whenever I wanted. When am I ever going to get that opportunity in the UK? Then there was a small matter of a bit of a lockdown, followed by Jamie arriving at the ski season and doing that. And as he said, he was very conscious that over in Europe, most people weren't doing any skiing at all in 2020. But there he was, on the slopes. Doesn't say what work he was actually doing, but somehow or other paying his way and presumably doing lots of skiing in between. OK, so there's an inspiration for anybody thinking... How can I set off round the world and travel? I decided to home in on the Australian part of Jamie's website and tell you a little bit about three of his posts on Australian cities. So first of all, Sydney, which he liked for, quote, its laid-back lifestyle, stunning beaches and beautiful tropical summers, its big city feel, yet the fact that it's only 30 minutes drive from the centre to golden sands and crystal clear waters. He then goes on to explain some of the very high action stuff he got up to in Sydney, climbing the Harbour Bridge, kayaking round the harbour, taking surf lessons, that sort of thing. But also there was no shortage of ideas for the slightly less energetic, ranging from seeing a show at the Sydney Opera House, some of the lovely parks to stroll through in Sydney itself, coastal and clifftop walks, and this one, which I like the sound of, for some out-of-town hiking. Quote, with its dramatic scenery, including stunning rock formations, dense eucalyptus forests and pristine waterfalls, hiking the trails of the Blue Mountains is not to be missed. There are some ideas too on eating out. I like this bit. Dining out in Sydney is a surefire way to blow through your money faster than anticipated. And he goes on to say that if money isn't a huge problem or you're looking for a special meal, perhaps with a lovely view, he's got some recommendations. If you're a vegan, He can tell you about his personal favourite vegan restaurant, where to get the best fish and chips, where to get a taste of authentic Japanese food, and where to go if what you really want is, quote, an awesome cocktail-fuelled night. Secondly, I wanted to focus on the post on Brisbane, the highlights of which are listed as its laid-back atmosphere, slow pace and tropical climate. It's a city that's great to visit in its own right. It's also good because it's very close to a lot of Queensland's major tourist destinations, so a good base. And ideas of things to do include galleries and exhibitions, there's a theatre, there's something called the Nepalese Gardens, where you can have some stunning walks, and plenty of cultural stuff. During my short two-month stint in Brisbane, says Jamie, I caught a show at the Queensland Performing Arts Centre, visited a pop-up Marvel convention, and sampled incredible cuisine at an Asian food street market. And thirdly, how about Cairns, 
billed by Jamie as the adventure capital of Australia, somewhere, he says, where you can fulfil all your thrill-seeking needs. So here's an exhausting, if not exhaustive, list. How about skydiving with a view of the Great Barrier Reef? What about some bungee jumping? You could go on a canyon swing into the world's oldest rainforest. Or you could go whitewater rafting down the Tully River. And if you feel exhausted at just thinking about that, you might like to know that in Cairns, most of the hotels have their own pools. That's for a slightly scary reason. As Jamie puts it, quote, As the oceans in Cairns are so dangerous to swim in, being that everything in them wants to kill you, most hostels and hotels come with pools. Well, that's kind of a plus, isn't it? Although he also tells us that if you want to relax in the water, you could go to Cairns Lagoon, where presumably there aren't any sharks, and you can cool off and shelter from the sun, all at the same time. You're also very nicely placed for visits to the Great Barrier Reef, where you can go snorkelling or scuba diving, into, quote, one of the most incredible underwater worlds on Earth. It's home to over 1,500 different species of fish and 2,900 reefs and an incredible array of colours. Now, if Australia's catching your fancy, you might like to know that also on Jamie's website are some very handy general information posts. For example, there's one titled Everything You Need to Know Before Visiting Australia. So if you're thinking, I don't know enough about the climate to choose when or where to go, I don't know one area from another. Do I need a visa? What do I do about a SIM card? All that sort of information is there. And dead handy for anyone interested in the idea of having a working holiday in Australia is a really informative post on how to get a working holiday visa. If you manage it, you can spend a whole year in Australia working, living and travelling. Whereas if you go just on a normal tourist visa, you only get access for three months. During your year, you can leave and re-enter as often as you like, so it's good to use as a base if you want to go elsewhere. It's only actually available for the 18 to 30 age group, but if that's you or someone you know and you want details on exactly how to apply, what it'll cost you, etc., and even how to extend it for a second, possibly even a third year, then I suggest you go straight to the bristolianabroad.com website where you can find out everything you need to know. And actually, even if you're not going anytime soon, I think a browse amongst the places in Australia and New Zealand particularly, where Jamie's been working and travelling and taking every opportunity that comes his way, would be something most inspirational. So just to remind you then, if you want to take a look, it's Jamie Boucher's website, www.bristolianabroad.com. And that brings me on to the third website that I've been checking out this month, and that's the justustotravel.co.uk, which opens like this. Hello, it's just us two, Jason and Vicky. We love to travel. We love long and short-haul holidays, city breaks. Some of our favourite places to visit in Europe are Italy, Spain and the Netherlands. We've also been to Cuba and Mexico, and we'll be revisiting one day. They mention that they're quite new to travel blogging, that they have to fit their travel around juggling full-time jobs. Then they go and write things like, we're always planning our next adventure. Who knows where we'll end up next? And one thing I particularly liked about the website is there's a little countdown thing on the homepage that tells you when the next trip is coming up. I'm recording this when travel's still pretty restricted because of the pandemic. And so I found it very hopeful to note that at the moment when I checked, their next planned trip, which is to Portimao in Portugal, was 
wait for it, 56 days, 6 hours, 14 minutes and 40 seconds away. I love the optimism and I'm pretty sure that even if that doesn't quite come off, they won't be postponing for long. Two of the phrases they use to describe themselves are city explorers and culture vultures. And those are two very city break things. And it was indeed on the cities on their website that I wanted to focus. There's Bruges, there's Naples, Rome and Sorrento, there's Amsterdam, there's Barcelona. But I picked two cities which they did actually in one trip, Prague and Dresden, mainly because I'm super interested in both. I did actually have a trip to Prague booked before the pandemic started. Hopefully that will happen eventually and there'll be a City Breaks Prague series. I was teaching German until only a year or two ago, taken lots of students to Berlin many times, but Dresden and Leipzig were two of those cities just a bit further into the former East Germany that I had on my definitely got to go there sometime list. So I certainly wouldn't rule out the idea of City Breaks Dresden either. I believe Jason and Vicky's original idea was a trip to Prague, but when they saw that there was a bus trip to Dresden from Prague, only two hours away, great value tickets, they decided to go for that too. Okay, so Prague, capital of the Czech Republic of course, somewhere chock full of history, including its role as one of the main cities in Bohemia, a period which has left it with beautiful Gothic architecture, the cathedral for a start, or then later on its role as a seat of royalty from which time dates the Baroque and the Rococo architecture you can see, its 20th century history as a city behind the Iron Curtain. These are all things you can discover if you go. And one of the things for which it's most renowned is indeed its architecture and its reputation as a city of a hundred spires. Although in fact, as Jason points out in his write-up, that number is an underestimate. Actually, there are significantly more, maybe even nearly 500. So really one of those cities that's very photogenic. And indeed, this post on the website is mainly a photo diary. Classic shots of St. Vitus Cathedral, inside and out. Of Prague Castle, of the Charles Bridge, of the astronomical clock in the city centre. That dates from 1410 and it's still working. Of the statue of the 15th century martyr, Jan Hus. Think of him as a sort of bohemian Martin Luther. He was a priest, but so critical of other priests, the ones who violated their vows of poverty or chastity that in the end he was burnt at the stake for his views. People who witnessed this at the time wrote of the way that he died singing hymns. So unshakable was his faith. Fast forwarding a few centuries, there's also the John Lennon Wall, which was begun in the 1980s, just as the Iron Curtain was coming down and Czechoslovakia was being freed up. And that's a good place to see street art today, and in fact, as is proved by the website, to take some great photos. This is another website which gives you lots of links so you can go finding out more stuff. I had a little meander and I ended up thinking I definitely would like to visit the Jewish Quarter. I particularly want to go to the Kafka Museum. I know that the Jewish and German-speaking author Franz Kafka lived most of his life in Prague and I'd love to find out more about that. Another link took me off to discover some of the culinary highlights of Prague which unexpectedly turned out to include hot dogs described as delicious sausages stuffed in French baguette and as the best cheap lunch offer in town. I learned that there are stalls throughout the city selling them and that they are the way to go if you want something nourishing and tasty that isn't going to break the bank and will allow you to resume your looking round without too much of a delay. Moving on then to Dresden, two hours away by bus, Flix bus in this case, 
I do actually know the Flixbus company, and I would highly recommend them. The last time I took a group of students to Paris, I had a late-night panic about the idea of getting 40 of them, with all their luggage, from the airport, through the Gare du Nord, to where we were staying, and then I had the brainwave of perhaps booking a bus to do all that for us. I found the Flixbus details online, and I just booked it. At which point, of course, I began to panic that I'd sent a deposit into the ether and no bus would be there. But, indeed, we arrived at Paris Charles de Gaulle. There in the coach park, awaiting us, was, indeed, a coach and a very helpful driver who wove through the city and the late-night traffic on our behalf and got us to our destination with absolutely no hassle at all for me. Job done. Anyway, Jason and Vicky took a Flixbus from Prague to Dresden which is the capital city of the German state of Sachsen, or Saxony in English, also a very long and rich history, particularly a royal history. In fact, it's known as a jewel box of a city because of its beautiful Baroque and Rococo buildings. And I think you can appreciate them even more for knowing that most of the ones you're looking at have in fact had to be rebuilt since the Second World War. Because between the 13th and 15th of February 1945, the lovely city of Dresden was almost completely destroyed by Allied bombers. The website reminds us that almost 25,000 people lost their lives. Post-war Dresden then was a sea of rubble. The life of the city gradually came back to something approaching normal, but it wasn't until 50 years later, so in the 1990s, that the prosperity to rebuild some of the most beautiful things that had been destroyed was actually in place. The city's most famous church, the Frauenkirche, which translates into English as the Church of Our Lady, was only finally reopened in its current format, i.e. just as it had been before it was bombed, in 2005. When I think of the history of Dresden, I always think first of the communist era in the second half of the last century, but of course there's so much more to it than that. And on the Just Us To Travel website, I found an idea for something you can visit in Dresden, which makes exactly that point. Namely, something called the Fürstenzug. The German word would translate literally as procession of princes, and the Fürstenzug is a huge porcelain mosaic which stretches the full length of a street and shows many Saxon rulers all through the ages. There's also in the city centre, with a lovely photo on the website, a statue called the Goldener Reiter, the Golden Rider in English, a statue of King Augustus II, dressed in his best clothes as a Roman figure riding a horse, portraying himself as rich and powerful. And, of course, wherever you have kings, there must be palaces, and sure enough, there is one massive palatial complex in Dresden known as the Zwinger. Beautiful architecture, lovely gardens, and two places you might want to visit as part of the grounds, the Old Master's Picture Gallery and the Dresden Porcelain Collection. People who don't know much about Dresden, if they only know one thing, it may well be the notion of Dresden, China for Dresden was one of those centres in medieval Europe where they first managed to figure out how the Chinese were making porcelain and to copy it, and some of the world's poshest china has been made in Dresden ever since. There's information too on the website about food, recommendations for places where Jason and Vicky enjoyed eating, mentioned by name so you can find them, and with some nice descriptions of what they ate when they were there. This, for example. The Freiberger Schankhaus was, quote, a great little place that serves a good selection of German beers and a menu full of traditional Saxon food, just what we wanted. We both ordered two large glasses of Pilsner, 
I ordered the fried sausage and white cabbage and mashed potatoes, and Vicky the roast pork in beer sauce with pickled cabbage and dumplings. Good, stodgy, hearty food. Yes, I can identify with that. That sounds like lots of meals that I've eaten in Germany myself. And actually, it's nice to know that they also felt able to say that at this particular restaurant, not only was the food delicious, it was also great value for money. Again, from the Dresden Post, lots of links from which I discovered, for example, that Dresden has an opera house that you can buy tickets for. I don't know if you know that all 16 of the German regions have a state-sponsored opera house. Opera in Germany is taken really seriously. And if that's your thing, don't visit one of the big cities without getting tickets to see something. I found out too that there's a castle, there's a walking tour with 22 sites on it. There's something called the Assisi Panometer. Not entirely sure what a panometer is in English. But reading the description, I think they might have made the word up. It's a mixture of panorama, so a view all round something, and gasometer. And while that sounds a bit random, it starts to make sense when you read on and discover that this is actually panoramic depiction of Dresden as it would have appeared in 1756, so absolutely at the height of its beauty, and all displayed in a former gasometer. Makes sense now, doesn't it? There were also references to the Christmas market in Dresden, one of the best, believed actually to have been possibly the first one in the world anywhere. If you've been to a proper German Christmas market anywhere, you will know that they do these things very well. And here we are promised things like an Advent concert, lots and lots of stalls, and the chance to do some Glühwein tasting and some tasting of Strollen, which is the marzipan-filled German Christmas cake. If you are one of those lucky people who can go away several times in the year, I think I'd definitely add a Christmas market visit somewhere in Germany to my list of want-to-dos. So, with that, I would like to end the world tour that we've been on today to America, to Australia, to carefully selected little treats in Europe. Can I take the chance once more to refer you to City Breaks in general? If you're not familiar with what we offer, then there are eight series so far on Florence, Seville, St. Petersburg and Munich, plus two in the UK, that's London and Bath, and two in France, Toulouse and Paris. And for each of those cities, a series of podcasts with quite an in-depth treatment aiming to offer you really all the history and culture that you'd like to know before you visit a city, but which you possibly don't have time to research for yourself. Handy to listen to on journeys, I like to think, and perhaps in queues for museums and things, if you're not one of those people who books ahead and sweeps past the queue and in first to everything. Also, it would be great to hear from people who've got ideas about what would make a good city break. This episode is focused on three travel blogs and on the cities that the people who run them would like to recommend. But it would be great too to have some other ideas, just somewhere you've been and really enjoyed, or maybe somewhere you'd like to go. If you could just name the city and send a few short lines of reasons or descriptions, that would be great. Three ways to do that. There's a blog on our website. That's www.citybreakspodcast.co.uk Or you can email us, citybreaks at citybreakspodcast.co.uk Or you can find us on Twitter, at citybreakscast. So, I'm off back to the London series. It's episode 8 next week. We're going to have a snoop round Buckingham Palace. And, yes, visit the Royal Muse next door, where you can meet some of the Queen's horses. And then there are plans after that for visits to the Inns of Court and Fleet Street, 
the London of Shakespeare and Victoria and Albert and all sorts of other people. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And I like to think that maybe we'll meet up there. For the meanwhile, though, thank you very much for listening today and goodbye.